Welcome to uh, Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. I'm Joe Works in Elmira, New York. Joining me this afternoon, as usual, Jeff Smelser in Exton, Pennsylvania. How are you, Jeff? Very, doing very well. Good, good. And Chase Byers in uh, Harrodsburg, Pennsylvania. Hi, yeah, Chase. That's, that's right, Harrodsburg, Pennsylvania. Yes, Joe, thank you for straightening that out for us. <laughs> Uh, well, you see, I don't live in that state, so I'm not, I'm not responsible for knowing the, the name of the capital there. So yeah, no worries. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jeff, yeah. if you want to correct them, what, what is the name of where I live? It, it, it is Harrisburg. I can say oh. that without hesitation. Yeah. Without, I've been practicing. Well, here's the deal. We, I, I formerly lived in Virginia where Harrisonburg, was that it? Harrisonburg was an hour and a half or so west of us. Now, Harrisburg is, is an hour west of us. And I have a daughter who lives in Harrisonville. And all those, all those get muddled up. Yeah. What you're saying is, is all the Harrises annoy you. <laughs> yeah. we, right. need, we need to invite Simon Harris on sometime <laughs> and uh, see how confusing this gets. Yes. All right. Well, let's. Uh, uh, we are we are back. I'm I'm sorry that we've had to miss the last couple of weeks. Had uh, traveling and sickness and uh, other things come up, but I'm, I'm glad that we're back into our studies, 2022. Um, uh, we've been talking about in the studies that we've had in the past uh, recent um, some character studies. We looked at people like Abraham. Uh, we looked at the the life of of Ruth and Boaz, um, and so. This afternoon, we're going to look at the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Um, there are a number of Josephs throughout the Bible, uh, evidently all of them extremely good looking and, uh, uh, and, and wise, uh, just goes with the name, I guess, but... Um, uh, that, that's a joke, everybody, just to let you know, <laughs> that, that, that's a joke. <laughs> uh, so uh, the story of Joseph is just fascinating, isn't it? I mean, it, it takes so many twists and turns, and there are great applications to be made on, on perhaps every page of uh, Genesis 37 through 50, thinking about what happens to him, how he deals with it, and uh, the way that the Lord uses him throughout the, um, this time of the patriarchs. And so I'm, I'm excited to, to just kind of walk through this text with you all. And uh, we certainly aren't going to read everything, nor will we hit on every point. But if you're listening in, please feel free to make comments on Zoom or on the Facebook Live page, um, uh, and we'd be happy to try to entertain those comments. Go ahead, Chase. Yeah, I was just going to say on the outset of this story, I remember one of the first times I got to go through this story with someone who had never read it before, and they were just awestruck at Joseph's ability to stay focused and to stay determined and true to his God, because we live in a culture, I mean, this has been true over many centuries, but especially now where young people, it's almost expected that they do not have any kind of integrity when it comes to sexuality, that they will just be, you know, out um, sleeping with whoever, whatever they want to. And Joseph was a man of integrity who took his sexuality and his um, need to serve his God seriously. And so the, the person I was studying with, they were just floored that someone could do that. So you had mentioned just how amazing the story is, and that came to my mind. 
Yeah, it, it really is. Um, uh, and, and at such a young age, he, he takes on this um, commitment to, to being pure and uh, a man of integrity, uh, just a, a great example. And, and even as he grows older, he, he maintains that uh, faithfulness to the Lord. So Genesis 37 is kind of where we pick up with uh, the story of, of Joseph uh, uh, in, in detail. And Joseph is quickly contrasted with his brothers. Um, Joseph uh, is loved by his father, uh, Genesis 37 and in verse 3. Uh, now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because uh, he was the son of his old age. He also made him a tunic of many colors. Um, and so it would appear as if we're seeing some favoritism on Jacob or Israel's part in, uh, in that verse, um, which is quite unfortunate, isn't it? Um, is there any history of favoritism amongst parents uh, before Jacob showing that to Joseph? Well, Jacob was kind of the favorite of his mother, and his brother Esau was the favorite of his father. And it, that favoritism manifested itself in, a, in an unhealthy way. Right, right. Yeah. And, and even going back to Isaac and Ishmael with Abraham and Sarah, there were, you know, conflicts going on there. Some of that may be more justified, but certainly the example that you gave um, showed the, the dangers of favoritism. Uh, Jacob lost years away from his mother uh, and away from his family as a result of, of that favoritism and uh, the events that took place there. But again, you know, there's, a, there's just a, a point here. People who are familiar with the story will, of course, remember that God used that. And, and so often in the book of Genesis, we see events in human relations that are not healthy, not good, and yet God makes use of those events to further his plan. And maybe that's a thing for us to think about. We get caught up in the moment when there's some unhealthy dynamic going on in a human relationship and in the middle of it, we can't, we can't separate ourselves and say, well, God is still in control and God can use this for good. I'm not saying that that makes the bad behavior that we may be experiencing okay. I'm just saying maybe sometimes we need to just try to remember there is a God who's above it all and he's in control. Yeah, uh, life's not fair. Uh, and we can't always control that unfairness. We can't always find uh, justice or, or, uh, or, or somehow to, to, to pair that out. Um, but what we ought to be asking ourselves is, what am I going to do about that in my service to God? Uh, how am I going to seek to glorify God in this scenario? And, and, and I love your point, uh, recognizing that God's in control. And so maybe what I'm going through now, maybe what people are going through right now that are listening in, uh, you know, that's something that you'll be able to use years or perhaps decades down the road um, to help somebody else. Joseph certainly is able to do that. Face, you got something there? Okay. So Joseph is, is loved by his father, but hated by his brothers. And you have that sort of um, increase in tempo in the text in verse four. They hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Verse five, Joseph has a dream. They hated him even more. Uh, down in verse eight, uh, it says they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Uh, verse 11, uh, 
his brothers envied him. Uh, and so there is just great animosity between Joseph and his siblings. Um, they, it's not just sort of the, the common sibling rivalries that, that we've probably all experienced, um, but, but this is intense. Um, they want nothing to do with them. They truly despise him. And uh, they're going to use that as an opportunity to sort of get back at him for, according to the text, the way that I read it, he's done nothing wrong toward them. And yet they are interpreting every one of his moves as being bad. So in chapter 12, uh, chapter 37, then in verse 12 and following, his brothers are out with the flocks. His dad, uh, Jacob, sends him out to see how they're doing. Um, uh, probably shows a bit of the questionable character of the siblings that the father has to send Joseph out to, to check on their, their well-being and, and what, they're, what they're up to. Joseph goes out, and when the brothers see him, this is their opportunity then to, uh, to do him in, uh, to, to get rid of these dreams that he's been having, these dreams that they've interpreted as dreams that, that he is thinking that he is better than they are. Um, and yet they're dreams from God. And they're dreams that are going to be fulfilled, but they have interpreted those in the worst possible light. And so they've decided that they're going to get rid of him. But I like the question after uh, his, his description of one of the dreams in verse eight, his brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us? And of course, a few years later, a number of years later, he will be the second most powerful man in Egypt and they will come and bow down to him. Yeah. And uh, so it's going to happen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great contrast to this, to the end of the, of the, the book of Genesis, when uh, that is exactly what takes place, uh, that, that is fulfilled. And, and Joseph, um, I, Joseph doesn't understand that at this point, but. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's the meaning of, of all of this? Uh, but they want to do away with those dreams. And in fact, what they are doing by mistreating Joseph, taking him, throwing him into the pit, selling him off, all the things that they do to him through this text, um, they're actually initiating. They're, they're, they are being a part of God's plan to accomplish this salvation of the world, actually, uh, because the famine spreads all over the place by the end of the story. And so Joseph is going to end up being a savior. Uh, I think clearly a foreshadowing of Christ in this text. Um, uh, he's going to be a savior of the world uh, from a physical vantage point, from the famine. And uh, their mistreatment of Joseph is what sort of uh, catapults or, or initiates these, uh, these events that put him in Egypt, put him in Pharaoh's house eventually, and also make it for, for them to be saved from, uh, from that. Hey, let me ask you a question. You mentioned Joseph foreshadowing the Christ. Uh, it, it becomes very obvious to me, uh, after you go through the whole story of Joseph, that there's some big things that just jump out at you. He's, um, you know, he's sold by his brothers. There were 12 brothers, and, and one of them is named Judas or Judah, and it's the same as Judas, the same name. And he is the one who comes up with the idea to sell Joseph, and they sell him for 30 pieces of silver. Later on, when they think Joseph is dead, 
Joseph appears to 10 of them, and then he appears to 11 of them, just as Jesus appeared to 10 apostles and then to, to 11 after his resurrection from the dead. Um, and then you start going back, and there's lots, all the little details in the story uh -huh. um, end up looking like the life of Christ. But, but you know, here's the question that I have for you, Joe. So you said this foreshadows Jesus, and I believe you're right. Is there anything in the New Testament that makes a point of Joseph as a type of the Christ? You know, so many times when we look at something in the Old Testament where it's looking forward to the Christ, you can turn to even the sacrifice of Isaac, Hebrews 11. You know, it makes the connection there. Right. Is there anything in the New Testament that tells us that indeed we should look to Joseph as a type of the Christ? I would suggest that it's not going to be as clear as maybe with Genesis 22 and Isaac and Abraham and Isaac. Um, but I see Acts chapter seven as, as being that um, in Stephen's sermon. Um, you know, Stephen is preaching this sermon that any, uh, any 12 year old Israelite would know uh, the, the history that he is presenting here. And, and he goes through and he talks about three major individuals in Acts 7. He talks about Abraham, he talks about Joseph, and then he talks about Moses. And then towards the end, he, he sort of runs through and, and deals with uh, David and Solomon rather quickly. Um, but it seems as if he's trying to get to a point about all three of those people, Abraham, Joseph, and Moses. And by the time he gets to the end of that sermon, having described those stories, Abraham, Joseph, and Moses, then he, he talks about how um, the, uh, uh, maybe go back to, um, I'm going to try to find the verse here, if you all could find it for me. Well, um, verse 50, are you talking about where he kind of gets to the point? Yeah, yeah. 51 through 53 is what I would look Yeah, at. you do always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Yes. Which is the Yeah, yeah. yeah. And which one of your, which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed the one those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. So, I mean, I take that to mean not only the the prophets ex expressly mentioned in the Old Testament, but I, I think in a way Joseph was a prophet or a prophecy of what was going to come. Yeah, and and and, and let's let's just sit on that and make that clear because it was a long time before I got the point of of Stephen's speech here in Acts seven, and I like your point, Joe. I think you're right. I think this is a passage that connects jo Joseph with Jesus. It's in chap Acts chapter seven, verse nine, where Stephen says the patriarchs moved with jealousy against Joseph, sold him into Egypt. God was with him. So here's a man God was with, and uh, Joseph's brothers sold him. And then you come down to verse 24, and Moses, God, by his hand, was giving him them deliverance, but they understood not. Verse 27, uh, he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him, thrust Moses away, saying, who made you a ruler and judge over us? So God was using Moses to give them deliverance, and they're saying, who made you a judge over us? And then in Acts chapter 7, verse 35, this Moses, whom they refused, saying, who made you who made you a ruler and a judge, him has God sent both to be a ruler and a deliverers, a deliverer. And it goes on in that vein. And, and that's, that's the pattern in Acts 7. He's just telling the history of Israel, somebody God was with, and the rest of the people rejected him. And now that's what Stephen's persecutors are doing. 
having just done that with Jesus. And so he makes the connection to Jesus in verse 52. They killed them that showed before of the coming of the righteous one of whom you have now become betrayers and murderers. Jesus, God was with Jesus. You've rejected him. So I think that does. I think you're right, Joe. Yeah. And, and so then when we go back and because we're given that information, we go back and, and study mm -hmm. the story of Joseph thinking about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And like you said, then you've got some even some other details that that come up. Um, uh, for example, um, you, you all have probably studied this uh, as much or more than I have. Um, uh, in uh, Genesis 37 and in verse 24, uh, they took him and cast him into a pit. Um, and uh, that idea is, is the same as as a uh, uh, as a grave mm -hmm. um, where they, they you know, it's a waterless uh, pit that they've thrown him into. Um, well, the word pit is used in, in the Psalms in connection with Sheol. Um, and, and, um, yeah, or, or before that, it's kind of a, a little thing. It's nothing you would ever notice if you didn't see the whole rest of Joseph's life as foreshadowing Jesus. But why do we need to know he went to Shechem and didn't find him there? And, and he had to go on to Dothan. It gives us the, the writer, the opportunity to tell us that he said, I am looking for my brothers. And Jesus is, is described, it, we're described as Jesus' brothers, and Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you, you have, you know, comparisons of, of shepherds in the text, um, uh, and, and a good shepherd, and, and these other men who, who are not uh, caring as much about the flock and so forth. A lot of different things that I wouldn't say that every one of them has to be a foreshadowing but they're certainly connecting well with the story of, of Jesus. Uh, so I wasn't even going to bring up the, the, the idea of Joseph foreshadowing Jesus. It's such a prominent theme here, but, the, but you gave us the opening there when you, when you alluded to that a moment ago. Sure, sure. And, and, you know, we talk about this is a character study. And so we talk about the character of Joseph and, and a good example. I remember my mother, uh, she she was looking forward um, as she thought about dying and she was looking forward to who she would meet in heaven. And, and one person she was interested in meeting was Joseph. And she was interested in meeting Joseph because as she saw Joseph as a type of the Christ, I, she wasn't saying Joseph never, never sinned, but she said, you know, I, I have trouble finding anything in the whole story of Joseph where Joseph is, is said to have done something wrong. Yeah. 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 That, that's remarkable, isn't it? It really yeah. is. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And there's not very many like a Joseph or a Daniel who, as we read the story, nothing is revealed of, of a flaw in his character. Again, they weren't sinless, but I think that makes that foreshadowing even stronger for us. The, the, the story is told with a purpose. Uh, all of the details are given. So, you have this mistreatment they want to do Joseph in, but hey, better than having blood on our hands, let's sell him off. And again, you already made a connect connection with that, with Judah, Judas that. being the one who's going to sell. No, no, that's, that's great. I appreciate it. I probably would have forgotten it if you hadn't. Um, and so you have these Midianite traders who come by, they sell him, and then Joseph winds up in, uh, in Egypt and... For the, the brothers 
from their vantage point, they're thinking, okay, good. We've washed our hands with him. We're done with him. We're never going to see him again. Um, you know, whatever's going to happen to him, he's just going to be a slave the rest of his life. We sort of put him in his place. Um, and then they deceive their father, uh, Jacob, taking some of Joseph's clothes, the, the very uh, tunic that he'd given him, and tear it, uh, dip it in uh, the, the blood uh, of an animal, and uh, seek to uh, trick uh, him. You, you have that sense of a, of a goat, of a, of a, of a goat's blood uh, being, being dipped in blood. Again, I think of foreshadowing there. Um, and again, they, they convinced Jacob. Well, in the meantime, you have chapter 38. That's not about Joseph. That one, that one seems like, uh, does it seem like an odd thing to, to put there? It does. Um, it does. It does, especially when you know what chapter 39 is about, where it, like, without really any transition, it just kind of moves the story along. It just right. goes right into what Joseph's been up to. But I do think chapter 38 has its place um, because Reuben, he has clearly tried to make himself some kind of a leader among the brethren, or the, the rest of the brothers, I guess, at that point. And you see him failing at every turn. I mean, he didn't have enough of a backbone to say, no, we're not doing this. But I guess you can kind of commend him because he was trying to find a way to save Joseph. But at the same time, he still is convinced that he's dead. And so you see Reuben really struggling to be the leader as the oldest of the brothers. And now the story is going to kind of pick up on what the other brothers are doing, specifically Judah. Right. And his story will kind of be running in the background throughout Joseph's. And so the writer of Genesis um, is trying to get us to understand the backstory of Judah um, in the same way sure. we're understanding the backstory of Joseph. Yeah. Um, so a friend of ours, uh, Doug Folk, uh, used to point out, uh, and I really appreciated he he drove this point home to me. I hope I never forget it, that when you see something in the text that seems out of place, really look for why it's there. Yeah. You know, um, it's not an accident. It's not a misplacement. Look for why that's located in that situation. So Joseph is, is leaving this, this land, the, the promised land, where, uh, where Abraham and, and Isaac and, and all the promises that, that God has given to the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph is leaving that. And I think that Genesis 38 helps to explain why God needs to get Jacob's family out of that land for a while um, uh, and what's happening to... Judah, uh, think about that name even foreshadowing the, the nation of Judah, uh, intermingling with the Canaanites and uh, what's going to happen as a result of that. They become like the Canaanites. Uh, you know, in, in fact, the, the Canaanite woman sort of becomes um, uh, a rebuke to, to even Judah. Uh, them staying in the land and intermingling and, and intermarrying with them, uh, it, it's a downfall for them. And so I think it helps us to appreciate what God's plan is unfolding from Genesis 39 on by, by seeing the wickedness that Judah engages in there in the land. Other thoughts about any of that? I think that's insightful. 
you know, you, we've also got the genealogy that's important there and certainly don't want to uh, uh, ignore that aspect of, of Judah and Perez um, uh, and uh, uh, the, the fact that that's going to work into the uh, Tamar um, work into the genealogy in Matthew 1 even. So, so that's helpful as well. But skipping over to Genesis 39, then Joseph goes down to Egypt. He sold into the house of Potiphar. Uh, Potiphar is a captain of the guard. Um, you know, think, well, well, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate that he was mistreated by his brothers, unfortunate that he was thrown in the pit, uh, unfortunately, he was sold as a slave. But now there's a bright spot. He's going to be in Potiphar's house. You know, at least he's not going to be in, in just anybody's place. Uh, and the Lord is with him, verse 2, and, and I appreciate the, the emphasis there. The Lord is with Joseph, verse 2. Verse 3, the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. Verse 5, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Uh, and so clearly the, the passage that Jeff mentioned back in Acts 7 about the Lord being with Joseph uh, I think this is a great uh, place to, to connect that, uh, that Acts 7 passage. Um, and so Joseph is, is being uh, manifested in, in Potiphar's house as being reliable and, and being helpful, and he's making Potiphar's house succeed in every way. But there's somebody else in Potiphar's house. And uh, Chase, you mentioned this. I, I think one of the things to, to think about for, at the beginning of our, our talk here this afternoon uh, Potiphar's wife, she is an evil woman, and uh, she uh, is also impressed with Joseph, and she wants to have sexual relations with, with Joseph. Joseph rejects that. Um, he rejects that because he's afraid he's going to get caught by Potiphar, right? No, uh, no. <laughs> That's where a lot of men would stop if they did. You know, you, you don't want to get caught by the husband. But that's not what Joseph's uh, objection is. What is his objection? Um, uh, how, what is it that he's concerned about? How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? At the end of verse yeah. 9. Yeah. Uh, Potiphar might not find out, but God's going to know. And uh, God has been with me. God has blessed me. Uh, I cannot go against God in this. Yeah. Uh, Genesis 39, the end of verse 9. Uh, that is his point. But she's persistent. And day after day, she tries to entice him, and he rejects it time and again. He's a slave. He doesn't have a lot of options to, of being there. Um, and she just keeps coming at him, keep coming at him. Go ahead, Chase. Uh, just a couple things on this, uh, things you need to learn about sin from this. Um, if I, I'm going to say this, and you guys are going to know what I mean by it. It's going to sound weird. It's easy to not sin when there's a bunch of people around you who expect you not to sin. Right. And when you're in a situation where you don't have time to sin, you learn a lot about yourself when you're alone with temptation. Mm -hmm. And we, I see this at the camps we go to um, that we're a part of with different young men who struggle with these kinds of sins and temptations. And they ask themselves, you know, well, why is it that I'm doing so well at camp? You know, why is it that I'm not tempted when I'm here? Right. And you have to explain to them, it's because you're around all the people that want you to do good and that are also trying to do good. You're really going to learn the most about yourself. And really, you're going to learn what kind of man you are when you're by yourself with sin and temptation. 
And Joseph was in that situation. He was in, he was staring it directly in the face. And the other thing that we know about sin, sometimes it's easy to resist sin once when a particular sin comes your way and you say, oh, get that out of here. And maybe that's it. And that's all there is to it. It's a whole nother thing when you have to resist ten, a sin when it keeps pecking at you and pecking at you and pecking at you and will not let up. And those are both of the circumstances that Joseph was in. He had, circ- he had the circumstances, he had the time, and there was probably part of him that had the desire as a single man, but all of that was trumped by his want to serve and obey God. And that is a really good lesson for us to learn. And we got to ask ourselves, do I have that kind of dedication to the Lord? Well said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Really good contrast here, Joseph, with uh, 2 Samuel 11 with David and Bathsheba, right? Mm -hmm, You know, absolutely. uh, Opportunities were there for both of them. Actually, not even. Uh, David made the opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But this one is just, you know, almost literally put in Joseph's lap uh, to, to do what he wants, and he rejects that. Um, David, again, as you mentioned, time on his hand, uh, and uh, he uh, abuses his power. Um, instead of thinking like Joseph did, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know, um, there's a book I've read. Um, it's called Finally Free, and I'm trying to remember exactly how it's phrased, but it's, it's kind of like the fire triangle, heat, oxygen. Um, oh, man. Uh, heat, oxygen, and a, uh, what's the third, what's the third part of the triangle? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Hopefully no one from the fire station is listening. <laughs> bust right through the door. This will be the real test if they actually come in and if they, they are actually listening. They'll bust through the door right now. Um, but the idea so we, we have is, to explain you're a firefighter and you're at the fire station right now and having yeah. trouble explaining how fire works, heat, heat, fuel, and ox- heat, fuel, and oxygen are a, t- a fire triangle. And if you take any one of those components away, the fire goes away. And so that's why we put water on. So, but the same idea is with temptation. It's like, you've got time, um, opportunity and will. And if all three of those match up, you're going to give into temptation, especially of a sexual nature, if you think of pornography. But if you take any one of those away, you've eliminated the ability to sin. And Joseph is in a situation where he has, he has the time and he has the opportunity, but he doesn't have the will to do it. Uh, he, he has the will to serve God instead. Um, so I, I think it's just um, really cool to see him at such a young age being willing to refuse. And how old yeah. is he? Well, we don't know it exactly at this point, but he was 17 when, when we were introduced to him in chapter 37. Yeah. So certainly still a young man at this point. Um, and he is rewarded greatly for his um, refusal to, to sin, right? Um, he's rewarded by uh, being falsely accused, believed by his master, uh, she, the Potiphar takes uh, Mrs. Potiphar's word for this and is angry and has him thrown into uh, prison. Um, and we think, well, wait, that's not fair. Uh, Joseph did the right thing. He should have been rewarded for that. Um, but that's not the way that it always works in, in God's plans. 
We need to be willing sometimes to suffer even for doing what's right. Uh, wicked people are, are going to uh, present mistruths. Uh, but you still have the same point in verse 21 of chapter 39. But the Lord was with Joseph. And then at the end of verse 23, the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. And so wherever Joseph's at, whether he's in the pit, whether he's in Potiphar's house, whether he's in the prison, the Lord is with him and the Lord is blessing him. Um, it may not always appear like that uh, to the uh, observant, uh, but it's the truth. So you were talking earlier about all of the emphasis on the Lord being with Joseph when he was in Potiphar's house. And now again, he's in jail and the Lord is with him and, and things are going to go well for a time for him in jail. Um, but, you know, this is, again, if we talk about his character, um, you think about how we, how we think when we go, just suppose you, you're a 17 year old young person and you're sold by your own siblings into slavery. You're carried off to a foreign country and you are enslaved. And then just as soon as things start looking like they're, 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 they're looking good, uh, you get falsely accused. Even when you did the right thing and you turned down temptation, you get falsely accused and thrown in jail. How many of us would say, boy, it just feels like the Lord is with me? Yeah, no, you, 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 you would, I think most of us would question, uh, you know, well, wait, where, where did I misstep? What did I do wrong? Why am I getting these things happening to me? And, and whether Joseph ever questioned and thought like that, I, I don't know. But there's a lesson here. And the lesson is we can go through hardship. We can have unfair things happen to us and they can happen repeatedly. That does not mean the Lord is not with us. It may mean that this is the crucible through which we're going to be equipped for something the Lord has in mind, but we need to put our trust in God. Yeah, excellent point. Great point. Well, while Joseph is in prison, he meets a couple of other prisoners, right? The, the chief baker and the chief butler have been thrown into the prison. Uh, those are the kings, baker and, and butler. Uh, chapter 40 begins showing that Pharaoh became angry with them, had them thrown into prison. And uh, Joseph then has an opportunity to hear the dreams that they have uh, had, and uh, he interprets those dreams, um, uh, taking no credit upon himself for, for this. Uh, I really appreciate some of the language that Joseph utters here. I think we get some indication at least of, of, God, uh, of Joseph knowing that God is with him to some degree, um, after they offer up these, these dreams, um, the, the statement made in, in verse 8, mm -hmm. they said to him, we have each dreamed a dream, and there's no interpreter of it. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. It seems like Joseph has hung on to that dream from Genesis 37. He understands that dreams belong to, to, to God, and that God is the one that can interpret them. And he believes somehow that he is the one that God has put in this position to interpret these dreams. I don't know how Joseph understood all of that, but I think this is a manifestation of his faith at this point even. Um, uh, he's giving credit to God for, uh, for these dreams and for this opportunity. Well, uh, go ahead, Jason. We, I was going to say we have one comment on Facebook that is commenting um, on our comments from chapter 39. 
uh, David Kipp says, considering the earlier point of Joseph being a type of Jesus, the temptation from Mrs. Potiphar and Joseph's repeated denials reminds me of Jesus rejecting Satan in the wilderness. In both situations, they are attacked by false accusers, but reject them and point to the authority above them. And that's a really cool point. I hadn't thought specifically about Jesus also saying, I, I'm only going to worship God alone, no one else. And yeah. just pointing to the higher authority as their source of um, shooing away the temptation. So Yeah, help, helpful. Uh, definitely. So you have the, uh, the interpretations are given, one of them favorable and one not so favorable. Um, uh, the butler is restored uh, to his position. The baker is... You know, uh, I, I've always thought that who, who gets the second one? It's the, the, the baker. The, the, the baker, baker gets I've, the second one. I've always thought the baker is excited to get his dream interpreted. Yes. I've, al I've always thought that he, he hears what, how it goes through the cupbearer, and um, he just gets all excited. And yeah. then his well, is just you, not you, as good. You have that hint in verse 16. When the chief yeah. baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, you know, if the interpretation had been bad, uh, that might not have uh, been revealed for him there. I don't know. Um, uh, but yes, the, the, the baker is disappointed um, uh, and uh, uh, is, is hanged, according to verse 22. And the chief butler um, was supposed to remember Joseph um, when, he, when he was released, but he forgot Joseph. So and when so Joseph... Again, go ahead. Uh, when Joseph... He Joseph asked the the butler or cupbearer to to remember him, and and Joseph's words here, in uh, chapter uh, forty, and verse fourteen and fifteen, Joseph says, "Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you. When when you get out of prison, you go back to your job serving Pharaoh. Remember me, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house, for I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews." And even here, I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. He proclaims his innocence. We were talking before about him as a type of Christ and having done nothing wrong. And of course, the New Testament makes the point, First Peter 2, G Hebrews uh, 4 talks about Jesus without sin, but uh, I think it's in First Peter chapter 2, where the language is... Um, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And so here Joseph proclaims his innocence. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Uh, but he's forgotten. And again, you know, what a reward for uh, being God's tool to uh, interpret these dreams. Um, uh, and yet the reward that he's given is to be forgotten. And we say, well, that's not fair. That's not good. But if Joseph had been released, and Joseph had gone back to his homeland, then think about how difficult it would have been for all of the rest of the events to transpire for Joseph to end up being the savior. Uh, God's timing is significant here. It, it's not the right time for Joseph to be released. He needs to be in this place where the butler will eventually remember him, uh, but it's going to be at an opportune time for God to fulfill his plan. And so for a period of time, Joseph is is forgotten about two years are going to pass, that Joseph is going to be still remaining in that jail, uh, in that dungeon, and uh, uh, being, uh, being enslaved, um, 
there, Pharaoh's going to have a dream. He's going to be concerned about that dream. And the butler is going to say, oh, hey, hang on a second. <laughs> I Now, oh, I did something. I should have remembered this. Um, uh, and uh, he, uh, he tells about Joseph. They call Joseph out of the prison, present him before Pharaoh. And um, Joseph's statement in verse, uh, beginning verse 15 and 41, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've dreamed a dream. There's no one who can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that you can interpret a dream to interpret, uh, understand a dream to interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Just so appreciate you know, he, there, there's no sense of, of arrogance or pride or ego on Joseph's part. Uh, all credit, all glory belongs to God. Uh, really admire, you know, this, this is his ticket out of prison. Yeah, I can interpret this dream for you. And, and all you've got to do, Pharaoh, is to let me go. Uh, that's not what he says. God is the one who can interpret the dream. And so he interprets that dream. Pharaoh is impressed with it, sees the validity of it places Joseph in second in charge. Um, and again, I, I see a comparison here. Uh, Pharaoh has put Joseph in charge of everything concerning his kingdom um, uh, without exception. Uh, Joseph is given control over the kingdom. That sounds a lot like what the father has done for Jesus. Um, and so... Um, Joseph then begins to save up the grain uh, with, uh, with great wisdom, uh, is able to accomplish that so that the Lord, uh, be, because of what the Lord has done, blesses him so that all the countries are going to come to, to Joseph for, for sustenance, for, for salvation. Any thoughts through 41? I don't know. I had a thought, but I, we're running short of time, so I didn't know if I should speak up or let you press on. No, go go ahead. We're not going to get through the text. That's fine. Go ahead. Well, you were just you were just pointing to the parallel here between Joseph and Jesus, Joseph and Jesus in chapter forty-one, verse forty-one, starting. Pharaoh said to Joseph, "See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt." Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. And he had him ride in his second chariot, and they proclaimed before him, bow the knee. And he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. So a couple of things there. Of course, Pharaoh installing Joseph in this position of authority and everyone bowing to him. And I think of uh, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, where every knee shall bow, um, and and Jesus being exalted, who had who it says in the um, uh, form of a servant, a slave. Joseph had been a slave, and then Joseph was exalted, and Jesus is exalted. <laughs> that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In Philippians chapter two and verse ten, and then interestingly, just as Jesus. Uh, is subordinate to the father, but he makes he the Jews are upset because he makes himself equal with the father. Later on, Judah is going to say to Joseph, "You are equal to Pharaoh." So he's subordinate to, but equal to. Yeah, yeah, very good. And, and we are almost out of time. Let me uh, kind of just sum up a, a bit of what we've uh, talked about in 
and uh, have sort of a just a, a summary of, of Joseph's life. Uh, Psalm 105, I'm not going to rely on my own words to do this. Psalm 105, and again, think about Joseph and think about Jesus in the, the words that are used in the psalm. Psalm 105, 16, talking about God. Moreover, he called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all of his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. Wow. Uh, I mean, that's that's exactly what happens with Joseph. But you get some information here that's not even, uh, you know, right. I don't know that I would have picked up on all of this from the Genesis story. Right. But certainly when I think about Jesus, you know, his, his feet being uh, uh, hurt, um, uh, him teaching elders wisdom, you know, some of these details that are given here seem a bit purposeful. Uh, you know, why, why include all of the, the details that are, that are listed there? Um, uh, so again, I, I see that as, uh, as a connection at the very least between Joseph and Jesus. Made him rule, Lord of his house. And of course, yeah. it talks about in Hebrews chapter three, Jesus is uh, not just a servant in God's house, but is as an heir over his house. Yeah, great. Good, good. I not made that connection. That's helpful. Very good. We'll stop here for this afternoon. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we pray that uh, uh, this study of, of Joseph has been helpful for, for you all. It certainly has of me to be able to, to go through this again and uh, uh, to think through the, the great lessons of Joseph, the need to have faithfulness, integrity, honesty, commitment to God, unwillingness to sin, even when the opportunity and time present themselves, as Chase mentioned. Uh, thank you all for, for joining us, and, and the Lord bless you all.